Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. with you today flows on from what we shared, what Pastor Andreas has been sharing the last couple of weeks. And if you remember last week, after the time of, after the word, um, I shared some things that were on my heart and I led a prayer concerning, you know, quiet time, time in the presence of the Lord and the importance of these things and just the, con- the importance of consistency in these areas. So I want to share a word tonight and the title of my message is living from a place of grace not law and before i jump right in i want to just ask you just let's just commit this word to the lord shall we so father god i want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to be still to be quiet around your word and in fellowship with your spirit today and lord we want to pray that your word would speak to our hearts today that your love would be communicated, that we would be that we would be filled with grace and with the strength of your Holy Spirit by the power of your word working in us today. We Lord, we pray that your truth would would set us free, would bring liberation and and open up the way for your grace to work in our lives. That we truly, Father, would 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 live lives by the grace of God. And not by the Lord Jesus, uh, not by the law, uh, so that we may have and enjoy the, the fullness of your life. And we pray this now in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's let's continue. All right, Pastor Andreas has given us some um, teachings concerning the season of preparation that we're in, and last week he elaborated on how to cooperate with God's preparation. And what he spoke about was, he gave us five points. And the five points were as follows. Number one, learn to worship God for who He is, not just for what He can do for us. Number two, learn how to honor and submit to spiritual authority. Number three, embrace suffering as a part of our training. Number four, eliminate strife and division within family and your spheres of influence. And number five, to walk in love and forgiveness, whether anybody else does or not. These are some things that we can work through and we can um, search our hearts on. And as we wait on God and as we, we pray and we spend time in His presence, they are, these are very practical steps that we can take to cooperate with the Spirit of God in this time and in the season of preparation. And the point that I was that I made last week, and the reason I'm sharing with you tonight, is because I've learned that it's impossible to do these things without a personal and intimate relationship with God. Submission to spiritual authority without the leading of of, of the Holy Spirit can can feel as though you you're just doing works, you're just biding time and doing what you're told to do. You know, trying to eliminate strife from your family and from your marriage and it's, it's, it's near impossible to do without the grace and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Walking in love 
Again, impossible to do. We, we are incapable of walking in God's love without His help. And so the importance of a personal and an intimate relationship with God uh, cannot be overstated. And this is only developed as we learn to consistently spend time in His presence. And I know that as I say that, many of us struggle with that. That's kind of where we come unstuck a little bit. It's this whole idea of consistency in quiet times. Putting God, you know, the first thing in our days with all the busyness and all the stuff that goes on uh, in our weeks. So, uh, one thing I said last week and one thing that, that's really been a blessing this year is as I've looked at, for example, Stephen and some of the things he's already shared with us in his journey with the Lord, is that quiet times look different for different people. And it's if you think about it, it makes sense. It's just like building a, normal, a relationship with a human person, with anybody else. Some people like to sit down and have a chat, generally over a meal. Uh, others like to do things. They like to go shopping together. They like to go on a hike. They like to do something adventurous. That's kind of what gets, you know, gets, the, gets them going. They enjoy that kind of thing. Others like to mix things up and do something different every time. Others are creatures of habit. They go to the same restaurant. They sit in the same seat. They are creatures of habit and they don't like change. People build relationships around their personality and who they are. And the truth is God has made every one of us unique, uh, with unique likes and dislikes, unique characteristics. And if we try and take a cookie cutter mold and try and put everybody into a certain, into, we, we have to pursue God the same way and we have to experience Him all in the same way. And our quiet times need to look the same. We're going to end up with a lot of very frustrated people. Because that cookie-cutter mold will, will fit perfectly for some. But others will be, they'll find it impossible to connect with God in that way. Their times will, with God will be boring. They will struggle to, to feel enthusiastic. They'll struggle to connect with God and really feel like they have been impacted by His Word or by His Spirit. And so when it comes to this point of having regular quiet times, Consistency is key, but pursue the most important thing is connection. It's not so much about what you do in terms of how many scriptures you read and how long you pray. The most important thing is, are you connecting with God? Are you connecting with His Word? Are you able to hear His voice speaking to you, whether it's through a song, whether it's through nature, whether it's through reading your Bible? whether it's through just sitting in His presence. You see, you can spend a lot of time in somebody's presence and not connect with them. My wife and I, we've got two young kids and we lead fairly busy lives. And so we're often talking about who's doing this and who's picking up the kids and we've got this chore and we've got that meeting and we're organizing events and functions and things. Um, but very seldom, you know, very, it's very easy to just live past each other. And then that becomes... In essence, what you what you focus on, what you exist for, and you don't connect. Sometimes you've got to set aside special time just to connect. Sometimes we go out on a date and we spend time sharing hearts with one another. Because that's what marriage is built on. That's what true relationship is built on. It's not about the stuff. The stuff facilitates something else. The stuff helps us to have experiences together that create memory, memories that stretch us, that develop our character. So the point I want to make as I start this message today is whatever the method 
of your quiet times. What's important is connection. The communication and the experience is what strengthens the bonds between us and God. We're all very familiar with the, the scripture out of Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, which says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's interesting to note that the Bible doesn't say that faith comes by having heard. Our faith comes and, and, is, and, and, and comes alive and is strengthened by hearing continually the voice of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. And that can only happen through intimate relationship as we give ourselves time to sit in His presence and hear what it is that He has to say. And I've learned this along the way. And this is something you can only learn by experience. People can tell you this a hundred times. But only once you experience what I'm sharing with you will you truly understand what I mean. When God speaks to us, revelation knowledge flows. We can receive things from God in an incredible way that is life transforming that we cannot receive from any man. Now, I think it's important that we hear from people and that we, we get good teaching and, 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 and that we're in families. I'm not discrediting any human relationships. But there's something powerful and there's something very special when our hearts come to the place where we know that we've truly heard from God. And when that happens, faith is there. God communicates His life and His strength to us. So all of the season of preparation that Pastor Andreas has been talking about, everything that God is preparing us for, what is this really all about? Is it about stuff? Is it about works? Is it about things we need to do? Truth is, it isn't. What it's really about is relationship. This is a relational thing. You see, if it's not about relationship, then what is it about? It's about works. We have to do certain things. We have to perform in a certain way. And when we start thinking that way, we get trapped into law. What is law? Law is simply having to fulfill certain obligations that are placed upon me. In other words, they don't come from within my heart. They're externally placed upon me. I am externally driven to do certain things, to live my life in a certain way, rather than internally motivated, rather than being inspired to do so. Instead of doing it as an act of my own will, with a happy heart and, and, and a joy in, in the process, I fulfill an obligation. I tick the box and my fulfillment comes not from who I am or from who God is within me. My fulfillment comes from having performed. What does that mean? That means that if I don't perform, I have no fulfillment. My relationship suffers and everything else goes with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 5 to 6. It says this. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. So in other words, nothing I can do, nothing, no performance, no ritual uh, that I can do makes me sufficient in any way. Our sufficiency comes from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter in other words, not of the works, not of the law, not of fulfilling requirements, but of the Spirit. In other words, His life within our hearts, working in us, inspiring us by His life, 
to take on and become more like his like him we begin to exude his life we we take on his values and his motives of love and begin to demonstrate them naturally it's not something we need to strive to do it's something that begins to flow very naturally out of intimacy and relationship with him the verse goes on to say for the letter kills but the spirit gives life the letter kills trying to fulfill obligations kills my faith because jesus what sets christ apart from every other god out there is that every other god says you need to perform in order to approach and to and to get to a certain level or another level it's all based on human performance with jesus it's completely different he says no matter how hard you try you're never going to be good enough that's why i died for you but if you accept me and you build relationship with me my all sufficiency becomes yours you no longer need to strive to be accepted you are accepted you no longer need to perform to do something to to please me and to hear and to to, to know my will for you i've already given you these things it's already all yours the experience of those things however comes only through relationship it says the letter kills but the spirit gives life and what does it mean the spirit gives life the spirit is a person it is not a work it is not a chore life comes only through personal relationship you see the focus is not on the ritual and that's where we often get it wrong when it comes to quiet times when it comes to prayer when it comes to fasting when it comes to attending church when it comes to giving all these spiritual disciplines are good and they are necessary in our lives but if our approach to them is to fulfill works we've lost the plot they will kill our faith those very disciplines that are there to breathe life to our faith if they are done as an act of law they bring us down we cannot attain them we feel discouraged every time we mess up it's not about the ritual it's about the person you see you can go through the ritual and leave untouched and unchanged i've had quiet times like that you know when i was becoming consistent in these things i i, I tell the church i i used i have different had different types of quiet times some mornings you pray and it's like heaven is open over you and you can hear god and his presence is so thick and you read the word and it's speaking straight into your heart other mornings your quiet times look a bit like this and you pray and you wait on god and you just wait for the coffee to kick in and you don't feel like you've heard very much but you've read what you're supposed to read and you've prayed what you think you're supposed to have prayed but there's no life in it there's, there's been no connection and the point i'm making is this i can go through the ritual I can pray the prayers. I can read the Bible and still leave untouched and unchanged. Why? Because my heart hasn't made connection with the heart of God. And yet other times you can simply sit in the presence of God, not do a single thing, not say a single prayer, pray a single word, read a single scripture, and yet leave completely transformed by the presence of God just being there. Sometimes the presence of God just in doing nothing is so powerful and so beautiful and if your heart is open to it you receive far more than you could ever receive if you're trying to perform to to achieve something or to receive something special from god so 
as we talk about this the season of preparation and what it is that God's wanting to do in my life and in your life understand that the work that God wants to do is not going to be accomplished or achieved through rituals spiritual disciplines are necessary please understand what I'm saying I'm not saying oh we don't pray then we don't worship we don't give we don't do any of these things no all of those things are necessary but the purpose of them is not to try and get something from God. The purpose is just to be with Him and to enjoy Him. You see, when we, when we catch hold of that, the life force of God, the Spirit that brings life, begins to flow in a way like it never could before. Now, when it comes to quiet times, when it comes to any relationship, consistency is, is key. Now, consistency in quiet times is not about performance. It's not about making it right every single day. It's not about ticking the box as a, as a thing to do on your list of things to do for the day. Consistency in quiet times is about priorities. Now I'm going to share some things with you now that I know are going to challenge you. And I share them in love. And I know I've been challenged by these things many times in my life. And often God has to bring me back to them. I don't know if you experience this as well. I'm sure we all do. We go through seasons where we become distracted. We become busy. We Our focus shifts. And God needs to bring us back. And I've come to learn that unless I'm willing to deal with certain things, or let me rather put it this way, unless I'm willing to acknowledge certain things, there's no way back. Oh, but there's always a way back with, with, with Jesus. The door is always open. Yes, it is. But it takes a certain attitude to come to the door. It takes a level of humility and surrender and repentance in order to go through the door. You see, intimacy with Jesus, intimacy with God comes through one thing and one thing alone. And that is the cross. We cannot have intimacy with Christ apart from laying down our lives, dying to self so that we can take on his life. Now, where does this what does this have to do with my relationship with God? What does this have to do with intimacy and quiet times? When it comes to spending time with God, when it comes to our, let me put it this way, when it comes to our relationship with God, we evaluate our relationship with God according to our intentions. Um, it's very, when we, when we look at people around us, we judge them according to their actions. But when it comes to our own hearts, we judge ourselves not according to our actions. But we judge ourselves according to our intentions. And we do say things. I was joking about it before. We do say things like, God understands or God knows my heart. And we, when it comes to spending time in the presence of God, we say, I'd like to. You know, God knows that I'd love to spend time with Him. But I'm just so busy or, um, you know, I tried and it's just not quite working. But God understands. And we, when it comes to these sorts of things, we, we judge ourselves by our intentions. But the truth is that our behavior doesn't lie. You see, we may feel like we sincerely want to spend time with God. But if it was truly important to us, we would be doing it. We would be doing it daily. And it would be a joy. Now sometimes that, that seems incredibly harsh. That's, that's quite confrontational. And God has confronted me with that more than once in the past. If it was truly important to you, Michael, you'd be doing it. Jeremiah chapter 17, 
verse 9 to 10 tells us something very important about the way we view ourselves, but also very important about the way God views us and deals with us. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 to 10 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Let's stop there. The first statement that scripture makes is that the heart is deceitful. Now what is deception? Deceit is, you're deceived when you believe a lie to be the truth. Then you are deceived. Deception is not recognizing a lie. When you know that a lie is a lie, you can't be deceived by it because you, you, you can separate the truth from the lie. When you are deceived, you, you believe that a lie is the truth. A really good example of this is when they teach bank tellers, um, when they teach bank tellers how to recognize fake money, they show them the truth. They show them what a real bill looks like. Because when you know the truth, you can recognize the fake. You can easily spot which is the counterfeit, so that you are not deceived by it. Because when you're deceived, it's going to cost you. So you, you try and pay for something with fake money, and they find out it's fake, it's cost you. It cost you what it took to get that money in your hand, and it's cost you now because you want to spend something in, that you thought you had, but you never had it. Now, what the scripture tells us is that your heart will lie to you. Your heart will deceive you. And you will believe it. How often have you heard people say, just follow your heart? But the Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful. So how does God search the heart and test the mind? The verse tells us here. He looks at our ways and the fruit that our doings produce. He says there, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Everybody says God looks at the heart. He's, yes, it's true. This verse also says God looks at the heart. But do you know how he truly discerns what's in our hearts? He discerns what's in our heart by that which comes out of it. If you want to know the truth of what is going on in your heart, look at your actions. Don't try and figure it out internally. Don't try and look at, at and, and try and measure your intentions because you're going to lead yourself astray. Your heart is deceitful. You will believe something that isn't true. If you want to know the truth, don't look at your intentions. Look at your actions. And see what the fruit of your actions are producing. Folks, sometimes the truth is a very difficult thing for us to face. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's John 8.32. You shall know the truth. You see, when you know the truth, it will set you free. Free from what? Free from the deception. I've been set free of so many deceptions over the years, and I know that as I continue to journey with Christ, there's more. There's more things that I believe to be true about myself, about my family, about ministry, about the world, about God, that are simply not. And as I spend time in His presence, God will show me the truth of who He's... That's what revelation is. It is the revealing of something. Revelation of the truth. 
Jeremiah teaches us that we deceive ourselves. And how do we do that? Well, I'm going to tell you how we do that. The way we deceive ourselves is by tolerating and excusing that which we know to be wrong in order to please our flesh and appease our consciences. We make excuses. An excuse is a lie that we tell ourselves to make us feel better for not doing what we know is required or what we know is the right thing to do. It's a, a reason or an explanation given to justify a fault or an offense. So let's bring this back to quiet time or time spent in God's presence because this is what we're talking about. Remember I said to you, it's not about performance. It's about priority. Now, if I had to sit down, if I had to ask most of you to sit, or any of you to sit down and write a list for me, prioritize for me, in order of importance, what are the most important things in your life? What do you value most? What do you consider to be most important? I bet you that number one on most of your lists would be God. Number two, marriage. Number three, children. Number four, whatever. You can, you can extrapolate the list, your own list. But we've all been taught that God must be number one. And our intention is to put God number one. But how often do we put God number one in terms of how we manage our time? How much time we spend in His presence? How, how, in the way that we live our lives, when we look at our actions, do our actions point to the fact that our relationship with God truly is the most important thing? Or is it important... But only, only, only important when I have the time to do it or when there's not something that's more pressing or something perhaps even that's more pleasurable right now. Florence Nightingale is famous for saying, I owe my success to this. I never gave nor took an excuse. In other, in other words, I never told myself a lie to make me feel better for, what, for not doing what I knew was the right thing to do or what I know is required of me. Now, Michael, that sounds an awful lot like law, which is exactly what you're telling us this is not about. Stick with me, folks, because you're going to see as I continue, we're going to break this down. I want to just look at very briefly some classic excuses that we that we tell ourselves. Now, this and again, I want you to understand this applies to many spheres and aspects of life. But today I'm talking specifically about spending time with God, whatever that time may look like. However you choose to do it, just the importance of daily time with God and the discipline of spending it with Him in such a way that you can connect and we can hear from God and we can receive from the Father our daily bread. Here are some of the excuses we give for not doing what we know we ought to do and making that connection daily. Number one, I don't have time. That's what we tell ourselves as an excuse. But is it the truth? Well, the truth is, you have the same amount of time as everybody else. The truth is, it's simply not a high enough priority. If it were that important to you, you would have made the time available. You've been judging yourself by your intention. But the truth of your behavior, but your behavior reveals the truth. Now, are you going to keep looking at your intention? Or are you willing to start being confronted by the truth of your behavior? Another another excuse, but I'm just so busy. You don't understand, I'm so busy. What does that tell me? You know, uh, the, the most famous parable, Mark chapter 4, speaks of the parable of the sower. And he says, 
and it's really very much just in terms of our age and the time that we're living in today, that many will hear the word that will spring up, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things will come in and choke that seed that God has planted into our hearts. Our desires for other things, the cares of this world, the busyness, it comes in and it, it, it reveals to us our true priorities. We say we're too busy, but here's what God tells us to do in Colossians 3, verse 2. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So he tells us to make a deliberate, conscious decision what we're going to do with our minds, with our headspace, where we're going to focus our energy. First, he says, on things above. The message says it really beautifully in, Colo in verse 1 and 2, Colossians. It says, if you're serious about living this new resurrected life with Christ. Act like it. Oh, that's heavy. That's a hammer blow. If you're serious, act like it. Don't speak about it. Don't tell everybody how serious you are. Stop trying to convince yourself how serious you are. If you are serious, act like it. Put your money where your mouth is. It goes on to say, pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. I'll give you another lie. Another lie we tell ourselves is, God knows my heart. Well, we've read in Jeremiah that God searches your heart, but God does not judge your heart according to your intention. God judges our hearts according to the fruit and according to our actions. Jesus says, Jesus said it this way, Matthew 7, 16 to 20. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Not by what they say, but how they behave. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Folks, it's actions that makes the difference. James says, faith without works is dead. If I say I love God and I value time in His presence, but I never put myself in His presence, the truth is I don't really value it. I say this today not to condemn you. I say this today that as you search your heart, you got to, we, we've got to confront the truth that is within us if we want to grow and if we want to be serious and move on with God. I've discovered that no matter how many excuses I make, it doesn't change the truth. All excuses do is obscure it. The excuses I make keep me from dealing with the truth. I can make excuses till the cows come home. The truth stays the truth. I can call it anything else and I can think whatever I want to think. The truth stays the truth. And if you want to be set free from a lie, from a deception from believing something about yourself and about your motives and intentions that your actions do not back up, you have to acknowledge the truth 
And the truth is not going to be found in how you feel inside. The truth is going to be found in the way you live your life. That is the truth. The truth is raw. And the truth is impartial. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care what you've been through. It doesn't care who your mommy is or who your daddy is. It doesn't care what church you go to. It doesn't care how much money you have. The truth is impartial and it is raw. It deals with facts, not with emotions and not with good intentions. Dealing with the truth about ourselves is a part of our spiritual preparation. And here's where it transitions from law to grace, from death, ritual to life. The only way we can confront this truth about ourselves and deal with it and find the life of Christ in it that transforms us that, make the, that, that will make the truth we believe about ourselves, the reality through our actions, is by this thing called grace. Jesus said it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What an incredible thing. Grace has nothing to do with my efforts. Grace has nothing to do with me trying to jump through the burning hoops and meet the standards. Grace is a gift, which means I have to receive it. The best definition I have ever heard for grace is this. Grace is the person of Jesus meeting us at our point of need with all his power and authority at our disposal. You've often heard of grace being referred to as God's unmerited favor. I don't, I don't agree with that definition because I think it's far too narrow, narrow and it's far too limited. Grace is a product of God's unconditional favor, absolutely. But it can't be defined as his unmerited favor. Because it's so much more than that. Grace is not just some big cover up that looks at our shortcomings and pretends that they're not there. It's not another, grace is not another excuse. Grace doesn't justify or make okay that which is not okay in my life. It's not some blanket that just makes my apathy acceptable to God somehow. It doesn't excuse the state of my heart. What grace does, it is a person, it is the person of Jesus that works within my heart to bring about desires that an inspiration that leads to actions that I could never ever have mustered in my own strength. And grace can only be experienced through a personal relationship with Jesus. Grace is a person. It is the power of Jesus. It is the authority of Jesus at our disposal. When we can't, that is where we find grace. You see, as long as we can, we don't need grace. We don't need faith. But grace and faith work in our lives only when we come to the place where we acknowledge that we can't. Only when we come to the place where we allow the truth about ourselves to stare us in the face and we acknowledge and accept what it tells us. You see, grace cannot work in the presence of a lie. You can't ask God to help you with something that you're consistently excusing. If we're talking about quiet times, you can't ask God to help you in this area of your life if you're constantly excusing it, if you're constantly making excuses for why you can't or why you couldn't. 
if you perpetuate the deception, the truth doesn't have the ability to come up. You have to acknowledge the truth about your actions in order for grace to begin working. And we can only truly understand and take hold of God's grace when we come to the end of ourselves. Here's what Matthew 16, 24-26 says. And again, I want to read from the Message Translation because it puts it in words that I think are just powerful. It helps us wrap our heads around what it's, what it's saying. Matthew 16, 24-26 Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. <laughs> Ever feel like Jesus is going to work on you? Well, if we're in a season of preparation and you think yourself a disciple, then yes, Jesus is going to work on you and he's going to work on me. And this is how he does it. He says this, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. That's one of the things Pastor Andrea shared with us. Follow me and I'll show you. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. It's my way to finding yourself. Your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? So many of the excuses we make in our spiritual journey with God, they are excuses that enable us to pursue what we want. Our desires, our comfort, our blessing. And he says, what kind of deal is it to get everything you want but to lose yourself? What could you ever trade for your soul? Folks, the message I have for you today is this. The key to grace is to quit. Quit trying and surrender to it. Acknowledge your inability to do it on your own. How many times have you tried? How many times have you made New Year's resolution to spend more time with God and I'm going to pray and I'm going to do this and I, and, I, and I make a conscious quality decision. We say words like that. We need to acknowledge the true state of our hearts. Not according to our intentions, but according to our actions. And we need to be honest with God. We need to say to Him, Father, when I look at my actions, I can see that I am still the top priority in my life. My top priority is not you. Help me with this. It is that prayer of surrender that ushers in the grace of God. Where you say, God, I can't. I need you. I cannot depend on myself and my own ability. I need you. That When that realization sets into your heart, you are on the way to the greatest journey with God you could ever have imagined. Your spiritual walk will go to another level, to another dimension. Because you begin to look at a person saying, would you please help me? Rather than looking to a ritual to get to the person. It's not about setting your alarm or doing these things. You may have to do that as a part of it. But my effort is not to do something to please or appease God. My focus is turned to say, God, I need your help and I need your grace. And when we set out with those words and with that heart attitude, God never withholds himself from us. Only once we acknowledge our total depravity can we lay hold of God's absolute sufficiency. I want to say that again. 
only once we acknowledge our absolute depravity, our inability to please God or to pursue Him in an acceptable way on our own or by our own methods, can we lay hold of God's absolute sufficiency, His grace that enables us to do that which we cannot do on our own. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this, But we are all like an unclean thing, and our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. One of the greatest revelations I had is that the best I had was never going to be good enough. The best I could do for God was never going to be good enough. I was very inspired years ago by a quote that I heard by um, Winston Churchill. He was addressing a team of RAF bombers that were going on a, on a mission. This was a critical mission uh, during the Second World War. And he addressed them and he said, Gentlemen, sometimes it's not enough to do your best. Sometimes you have to do what is required. Folks, you, those, those, those bombers couldn't have come back home saying, We missed our targets, but we did our best. It's just not good enough. Sometimes we have to do what is required. And sometimes we deceive ourselves and we tell ourselves, But I'm trying my best as if that's commendable. When it comes to this life, when it comes to our spiritual journey, it's not about doing our best. We have to do what is required. And here's the catch. Here's where it becomes revelation. I am absolutely unable to do what is required in my own strength. I can't do it. And that's why I need Jesus. That's where I throw my hands up in the air and I say, God, I can't. I need you. I need your grace. I need your spirit to breathe in me. I can't do it. I can't live this life. I can't love that person the way you want me to love them. I can't forgive them, Lord. I can't do it. You see, when you begin acknowledging that, that is what it means to die to self. There's no more reliance in what I can do. And I throw up my hands and I say, Jesus, help me. Some of the greatest breakthroughs in my life have come from that place of brokenness. The Bible says a broken and a contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. That is the secret to getting hold of the heart of God. It is the secret to connecting with Him. And experiencing His life-giving power, the life force of God, the Spirit of God, working in your life. Because you are going to, when you acknowledge that you can't do it on your own, you are going to take every step with your eye on Him. Waiting for His guidance. Which way, Lord? Show me, Father. Help me, Jesus. Guide me, Holy Spirit. I'm looking to You. What is your wisdom in this situation? What does your word say about this, about me? How do I apply this, Lord God? And you begin to live a life that is completely reliant upon Him. Once you do that, you've hit the place of living Christianity out of relationship, not out of works. You're, you become utterly dependent, not upon the, 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 the task, but upon the person. Your heart flings wide open when you acknowledge you can't and you look to Him who can and who will in you and through you. 
Acknowledging guilt or inadequacy without defending ourselves is a work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. It's the way that we are able to confront the truth and our need for a Savior, as well as receive His enabling grace. When you approach God with this level of honesty, I promise you, I guarantee you, you will meet Him in a way that will literally transform your life. It will take what you think you know about God and like, like a fireworks display, it will go up and it will be glorious and incredible. And you will experience His power in a way that the Bible speaks of. When you read what the early church was like, when you look at what life was like for those disciples, and you compare what Christianity has become today, what is the missing ingredient? It's that personal, powerful walk with God that says, God, I can't but for you, and I need your grace. And this, folks, is what the season of preparation is all about. It's about lives that become transformed by the presence and the person of God to resemble His. You can't go a day without quiet time, not because it's something you need to do, but because it becomes the very lifeblood of your life. You are utterly dependent on Him. And that is the beautiful place where we find grace, where we find wisdom and revelation in the presence of God, where our relationship with Him goes to another level. My hope as I've shared this with you today is that I've encouraged you. I've brought you to a place of acknowledging the truth about yourself. That it's not about your intentions. The truth is what you actually do. And if you're not doing what you know you ought to be doing, stop trying to do it. Get on your knees. Acknowledge the truth of what you truly value. Ask God to forgive you. Align your heart with Him. Repent and look to Him with utter dependence, knowing that you cannot do what is required apart from Him. When you do that, the grace of God will touch and transform your life and will take you to another level in the Spirit than, that, you, that you've never been to before. And your experience with God will go to a level that, you, that you've only dreamed of. His grace will literally transform your life. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.